All right. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Middle East Forums webinar and podcast series, Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We are pleased to have Mr. Ashley Perry, advisor to the Middle East Forums Israel office, join us here each Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern to update us on all the events going on in Israel. Mr. Perry will be giving us a briefing on current Israeli affairs for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And now, with no further ado, I'll turn the discussion over to Mr. Ashley Perry. Thank you very much, Stacey, and good evening from Israel. Um, we're going to start, as advertised, um, talking a little bit about some of the, um, <clears throat> the attacks on Israel in the international sphere, um, in multilateral forums, um, and the attempt to delegitimize or taint or paint Israel with uh, the apartheid brush. Um, but there's quite a lot of comings and goings today uh, in Israeli politics, so we're going to have to get to those because there's some fascinating things going on there. Um, but to talk about the subject matter, um, for anyone who's been following Israel over the last year or so, or even longer, perhaps even as far back as 2001, um, there was what was created uh, called a Durban strategy at the Durban Conference on Anti-Racism at the beginning of the millennium. And basically what was decided by a group of NGOs, clearly with the help of some states, was that they would try and instigate uh, um, an international campaign uh, of uh, boycott, divestment and sanctions. This was a heavily coordinated, concerted effort by some very hostile anti-Israel and even anti-Semitic elements backed by some countries like Iran, uh, one of the uh, pre-events to Durban was held in Iran, obviously, and where a lot of the strategy was laid out. And as we now know, BDS has become a force in parts of the world. Uh, economically, it hasn't had much of an effect on Israel. Every year, Israel's economy, GDP, exports, imports are just growing exponentially, very, very well. Israel's doing very well as an economy. Uh, just were considered, I think, even the best economies coming out of the coronavirus. Um, and uh, we had the World Bank, um, the heads of the World Bank come and give Israel a very high rating, or the major um, ratings agency give Israel A+, plus, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So on the ground economically, it hasn't had much of an effect, but uh, in the hearts and minds of people in the West, certainly uh, kind of more of a debate about that. Israel is tarred uh, in certain sectors of populations as a prior state, and what we're seeing now in the last year or so is a concerted effort by otherwise ostensibly uh, erstwhile uh, you know, human rights organizations, whether it's Amnesty International, Human Rights Watch, the UN Human Rights Council. I mean, the average person, when they hear these names, they think of you know, legitimate neutral bodies and what they say goes and it has traction, it has merit to it. So when they attack Israel and they call it an apartheid state, it has meaning, even if not everyone is quite sure exactly if it applies or even remembers apartheid, especially those of a younger demographic. Uh, the fact is they know it's a bad thing. It's something about race. It's uh, prejudice. It's uh, uh, supremacism uh, terminology that's been used throughout these reports. And it's clearly uh, something that uh, uh, Israel is following very, very closely. As I said, it's clear that it is very focused. It is coordinated. Um, and it is unprecedented. Apart from Myanmar, no other country has even seen anything like these accusations, and certainly not 
even Myanmar was just, you know, one fleeting mention. Uh, no other country, regardless of what's going on in the world, and obviously, as we know, there's a lot going on in the world, Israel is considered the pariah nation, the black sheep of uh, humanity. This is the way they're being presented. Uh, and it's certainly very worrying for Israel uh, because the average person around the world, especially in the West, uh, doesn't really know the inherent bias behind these organizations. Clearly, uh, as we know, uh, the people who have released these reports have a history of extreme anti-Israel rhetoric, even anti-Semitic uh, rhetoric, the UN Human Rights Council, which sounds very nice uh, and lofty, is actually populated by, you know, uh, let's say countries without the highest human rights record, Cuba, China, uh, Iraq, uh, countries like this, these are Libya, these are the countries which are basically um, voting to, uh, you know, attack Israel uh, all the time. You can imagine there's uh, 193 countries in the international system at the UN. Israel is the only country in the UN Human Rights Council from the beginning that has a permanent item gender, which means that every single time the uh, Human Rights Council meets, it has to discuss Israel's treatment of the Palestinians. And you can imagine it's not particularly a fair or a realistic one, but it is something that's a permanent uh, agenda item. There are other permanent agenda items, but none of them mention any countries, only Israel. Remarkably, or not, uh, for those who follow, after last year's war uh, uh, called Operation Guardian of War by Israel against Hamas, uh, the U UN Human Rights uh, Council, who, again, I stress, has never opened a permanent agenda item against any other country, except for Israel, decided to open another one. And this one is not, was not just about the operation, was not just about uh, the recent conflict, but what was most telling is they want to investigate what they call the so-called roots of the conflict. Now we know that they're not going to investigate the Palestinian side, they're not going to look at uh, the fact that the Arab side rejected the opportunities in 1947, uh, to have their own state when, when the UN uh, voted for it and many other times since. They're not going to talk about terrorism. They're not going to talk about the genocidal nature of certain Palestinian organizations like Hamas. They will look at the very legitimacy of Israel as a Jewish state. Um, and they do it in a way which obfuscates basically the real meaning. If we take the human right, uh, the recent Amnesty International report, uh, interestingly, after making all these bold claims about Israel being a highly racist state and apartheid or whatever, and when they were interviewed, the people who released these reports, they couldn't back it up. They said, well, it's such a complicated legal system, so a lot of it's hidden and covered up, which basically means they didn't find anything, but they made insinuations. But it doesn't matter because the international media and any hostile organization to Israel will jump at the bottom line, which is that Israel is an apartheid state. Now, what does that mean for Israel? As I said, at the moment, um, it's, it's hitting some, you know, some blows to our prestige, to our status, uh, to the way we're seen around the world, but it's not having any practical effects. Tourism before coronavirus, and hopefully, again, after uh, coronavirus uh, will be up, our economy is doing well, but they are looking at the long game, and it is certainly hurting us, especially amongst younger demographics who don't remember uh, you know, apartheid, the, the real crime of apartheid in apartheid South Africa, and really just see Israel as the lone problematic state uh, in the world. Uh, what really does worry Israel, even more than that, is the ICC, the International Criminal Court, where the Palestinians 
illegally, uh, we would certainly say in Israel, took Israel uh, to that court. Don't forget, this is the court that found, um, uh, you know, uh, former leaders, uh, leaders of former Yugoslavia and certain African states guilty of genocide and, and all these uh, terrible acts. Well, now Israeli leaders and army commanders are uh, being taken to this court by the Palestinians. That's that scares Israel more than anything else because if they are found guilty, uh, basically this would mean that there will be arrest warrants out for senior Israeli politicians from Netanyahu to at the time Defense Minister Lieberman, Defense Minister Gantz, Defense Minister Bennett, all these uh, people who have ever held uh, a high position, the chief of staff, the former chief of staffs of Israel, they will not be able to travel to many places in the world for fear of arrest. And there will be warrants for their arrest uh, by the ICC. And even if they don't travel, you can imagine uh, having these hanging over. So that's really uh, something which Israel is trying to put pressure on the international community, the Palestinians, chiefly because they're the ones who brought the case. Again, even though Israel is not a signatory to the ICC, like America, like many other countries, uh, the ICC decided to go forward against their own mandate uh, to try Israeli uh, leaders. So that's something which worries uh, the Israeli political level perhaps more than anything else. But it is making a dent in our, in our reputation. It is a concerted effort. It's only going to get worse. Um, so Israel has decided at this point, as it has before, not uh, to uh, get involved with these investigations. It will not uh, give them the credence and legitimacy which, it, which they seek. They will not allow the investigators into the country and they will not officially respond in any way, shape or form. Uh, there are a lot of Jewish organizations who are trying to deal with this, but again, it's a drop in the, uh, in, in the bucket for what the other side are going to do. And uh, again, even those organizations don't want to give it legitimacy. A few minutes on the situation, uh, the political situation in Israel, because we've seen some really unprecedented things in the last few days. Uh, we see a real crisis at the moment coalition. Again, I don't think it's going to be a, a crisis which topples the coalition, but certainly the opposition uh, see blood, smell blood, I should say. What has happened, there's been two major events in the last few days. First of all, we've talked many times about the fact that the coalition has uh, a very slim majority of one. Uh, there's 61 in this coalition. And uh, uh, a number of months ago, Elia Vidar, who was a rogue member of Israel Beitenu, he no longer considered himself bound by Israel Beitenu, even by the government, uh, was offered a position in the government, uh, and then he would give up his position under the so-called Norwegian law. Uh, he was supposed to be become Israel's next intelligence minister, but that was <clears throat> supposed to be vacated by Elazar Stone, who was supposed to get the position of Jewish agency head. That didn't work out. Elazar Stone stayed in his position. Elia Vidar stayed as minister without portfolio. Why he suddenly decided a few days ago to say, I'm returning to the Knesset, I'm resigning from the government, it's hard to say. Maybe he likes the fact that he will have this significant power in the Knesset. But what that means is that he is now back in the Knesset. He is that 61st vote, which means it will be extremely difficult to pass anything. He probably will vote along the government lines on most things. But he's already said that he's coming back to the uh, to the to the Knesset. He uh, uh, landed some heavy blows on the prime minister. He said um, he's, he's you know we, we should remember Elia Vidal was one of the people 
were demonstrated very strongly against Netanyahu, and he's now said that Bennett's just becoming a Netanyahu. Uh, Avida is a big skeptic on the restrictions, and even some say the vaccine, uh, the coronavirus, and he, he claims that he's been led to this position because of the, uh, the panic, quote unquote, that uh, Prime Minister Bennett uh, created uh, during the Omicron wave. The fact that it's now subsiding would suggest that perhaps that's not the whole story. But what it does give is the government a great headache. They have to get him in line. And at the moment, he doesn't listen to his party chairman, Abidur Liebman. He is closer to uh, Yeshatid, uh, chairman and uh, foreign minister, Yair Lapid. But he's going to be a very difficult person to keep in line. And he's going to ask a big price for everything. And he's going to have to be worked on as well as all the other 60. Uh, you can imagine this going to be very, very difficult. Um, we had in recent weeks, you know, uh, problems with Ram. They refused to vote on certain things after the nationality law uh, was pushed through by Ayelet Sheked. Uh, and we've had a few mini crises with, uh, uh, with the Labour Party, with Merits, and now we have one with Blue and White. And as, as those of you who've been watching this webinar for a while will remember, Blue and White are probably the most significant party in the coalition because they're the only ones who could conceivably move across and give power to the opposition to return to power uh, and the government because of their numbers, because of their history. Um, and Benny Gantz, again, not clear exactly why, but this week he has basically said, I'm uh, not going to vote with the government on uh, anything. I'm boycotting all votes until my law to uh, ensure an increase in uh, payments to senior IDF officials, senior retired IDF officials, I should say, uh, basically increasing retirement pensions for IDF generals. Uh, he said until that's increased, he will not vote, he will not uh, bring any of the eight members of uh, Blue and White to the Knesset. Uh, basically, it's become a very difficult uh, situation at the beginning. They thought it was maybe a threat uh, that wouldn't come, come through, but that's what happened today. Blue and White did not turn up. And when the government realized it didn't have the votes to pass any of its laws today, it basically decided to vacate it completely to the opposition. The opposition had a field day, as, uh, as uh, Minister of Transportation, Amir Mikhaeli said, uh, it, they had a Yom Kef, they had a day of fun today. And the opposition passed multiple uh, laws, some of, them, uh, some of them significant, not some of them less so. Uh, but the point is that these are only the first readings uh, of laws, they have to go back to committees, they have to pass through the second and third reading. So it doesn't mean any of these uh, uh, bills will become law, but it certainly becomes uh, ever more uncomfortable. And the opposition has basically gone to all the TV channels saying that this is the government, a government that's not focused, a government that's split, a government that doesn't know how to run itself. Uh, and it's, it, it, it certainly is a problem. This issue hasn't been worked out. Uh, Naftali Bennett, Prime Minister Bennett, met with all the major uh, uh, parties in his coalition, uh, leaders individually. There's going to be another meeting tomorrow, but it's unclear how this is going to be worked out because the ones who are putting their feet down on uh, against an increase in IDF uh, retirement pensions uh, are Avodah, the Labour Party, and Merits. Uh, and they're dragging their feet as well. 
but this is significant. One would not expect the government to fall over such an issue, but it certainly has created one of the greatest crises um, of this government. Again, I don't think it will fall. I don't think uh, Benny Gantz wants it to fall. The idea that he could go across so that he could and form a government with them is, I would say, extremely unlikely. One interesting added extra is that one of the laws that the opposition uh, was going to bring today um, was a law to look uh, to call for a national uh, state of inquiry into the failure of uh, the fifth dimension intelligence security company. Now, why that's significant is because the head of that company was a certain Benny Gantz. And while all the investigations against uh, Netanyahu are ongoing, uh, that he could try to make a, a big hay out of a, a relatively minor issue of the fact that this company, there were some irregularities in it. No one ever found anything against Benny Gantz, but they, that he could try to make it uh, sort of to show, look, uh, Netanyahu is being investigated for corruption and all the rest of it, and Benny Gantz is getting away scot-free. So it's been a big bugbear of the, uh, uh, the Likud and their, their, their partners in the opposition. Um, and the fact is that it was going to be brought up today. Interestingly enough, at the last minute, suddenly, after Benny Gantz made a whole uh, problem and boycotted today, suddenly this particular law was the only one removed from the timetable. So they are trying to put out the olive branch. They're trying to create the opposition, I should say, trying to create some chaos in the coalition. And certainly by removing that, they have added an exit. I don't think we're at the stage yet where it's a, uh, a crisis which people think that the government could fall. Again, I stress, even if they never pass another law, this government would not necessarily fall as long as they survive no confidence votes. And at the moment, uh, they don't have the number for that. But certainly it's going to be some very uncomfortable days ahead with the Eli Abidal situation and with Benny Gantz. And who knows which party will come next to boycott um, uh, bills in the Knesset if they don't get their way. So certainly this is a big test for Prime Minister Naftali Bennett. Um, at the moment, very tentative steps towards uh, solving it, but uh, it certainly uh, could run and run with two weeks more for this sitting of the Knesset. It could certainly be an uncomfortable next two weeks for the Prime Minister and the Coalition. And with that, I'm happy to take uh, any questions on these or any other issues. All right, thank you so much. Uh, so the first question we have in is from Ken Miller asking, Israel specified it supports the Ukraine sovereignty today. Uh, does this mean a paper support or is Israel taking any active role? Um, the answer to the latter part is no. Israel is not taking any uh, role. <clears throat> this if you look at the wording, it's very carefully worded. And my understanding is that it was at least 48 hours in the making. There was a lot of back and forth between the prime minister's office, the security officials, uh, foreign ministry, to find an exact wording that would, on the one hand, please obligate the Americans, but not ruffle too many feathers uh, on the Russian side. If you notice uh, in the statement, it, it mentions Ukraine and it mentions the territorial integrity that it recognizes it, it calls for peace, but it doesn't mention the word Russia once. That's the tightrope that Israel has to uh, navigate. Um, and uh, our understanding is, is from the Americans are happy with this. Uh, the Americans wanted Israel to come out with something. 
they did they do understand Israel's sensitivities. We can't be seen to be taking too much of a side, and certainly there'll be nothing more than uh, than this particular statement at this time. Thank you. Uh, Larry Greenberg asks, when, if ever, will the UAE, Bahrain, uh, Morocco, et cetera, denounce the human rights abuse charges levied against Israel in the UN? Um, no time soon. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of other countries that Israel has far better and longer standing relations with, whether in Africa or even Europe, that vote consistently against uh, Israel and the UN. Um, I think we've spoken about this in the past, but the UN system is relatively complicated and not. It's the multilateral system. Israel can have excellent relations, excellent relations with a country at the bilateral level, and then they could vote against Israel in the General Assembly, in the Human Rights Council, in all the other dozens of bodies in the UN, because simply in a multilateral system, it's a, it's a matter of numbers and there's groupings. Like, uh, like there are factions in parliaments, there's also groupings in the UN system. Uh, and most of the so-called third world, it used to be called the third world, the developing countries, voters a bloc uh, and many others. Israel was the only country for the majority of the lifespan of the UN not to be in a single regional grouping in the world. Every other country in the world was part of a regional grouping, which meant that it could sit on the Security Council, it could sit on various bodies. Israel was outside only in the last few years, Israel uh, joined what was called WIOG, Western Europe and others crew, uh, but it was asked not to uh, uh, make applications for any of the big posts for a number of years. So Israel is judged uh, on many of these um, uh, uh, committees or forums that has no right to sit and certainly not to take a leadership position on any of these. So there's another level of uh, bias in the international system. Uh, but uh, as I said, Usually there's quid pro quo uh, in, these, uh, in the international system uh, that if you vote with us on this bill, or on this particular issue, then we'll vote with you on that. Israel, at the end of the day, is one country. There are 22 Arab countries. There's 57 members of the, uh, the Islamic uh, Conference, uh, which is part of, uh, I believe it's 112 um, nations in the developing world. So there's an automatic majority against Israel. And again, at the end of the day, most countries know the way this game is played. And if we can even get an abstention here and there, Israel's delighted with that. And the fact that some countries, I'll just throw out a few, Kenya uh, in, in Africa, and maybe even Colombia and Latin America, we have excellent relations, but they will rarely, if ever, vote for Israel in the international system. So I certainly don't see um, are new allies in the Arab world uh, changing their votes anytime soon. Understood. Uh, while we're on the UN, Len Levin asks, why are there no UN resolutions against almost all the Muslim nations whose laws specify Islam as a state religion and in many cases do not allow other religions or place many obstacles against them? I, I think I just answered that in the last question. It's a numbers game. It's, it's clearly a numbers game. The fact that uh, Syria can sit, I think, uh, I think they held or hold a very senior position in the Human Rights Council in Syria with everything that's going on there, uh, shows it's, it's not about what's right. It's not about the reality. It's about uh, uh, who your friends are in the international scene. It's about what's necessary to do. Most of the countries that sit uh, on the Human Rights Council do so just to ensure that there's no attacks on their countries. 
not to actually look into it in human, real human rights abuses. Uh, you can just see the conversations that go on there, the annual reports, uh, the permanent agenda uh, items as I talked about before. So no, this isn't about human rights. This is really about deflection of those countries which hold the worst human rights records uh, while basically accepting uh, and, and deflecting uh, onto the one Jewish state. So it, there's, no, there's no fair uh, to it. It's, it's purely a popularity contest. Israel is one Jewish state in the world. As I said, 22 Arab countries, 57 Islamic countries, and many other countries that will work with them because you want to have a block, like 57 countries or whatever it is, on your side when you uh, want to be chosen. I think there was a number of years ago, there was a very famous instance that Canada wanted to sit, I think it was on the Security Council, they wanted a very big position in the UN, and this was during the Harper administration, very pro-Israel, uh, Canadian leadership, and it was basically told by dozens of countries that because of your pro-Israel stance, we will ensure you do not sit on this committee. So the threat was there not just against the Canadians, it was there against any country which takes too uh, much of a pro-Israel stance. So if you want to get things done in a multilateral sense in the international uh, field, it's very easy. It's almost cost-free uh, to attack Israel, uh, but to stand with Israel, uh, produces a very high cost. So countries in their foreign ministries will do the calculations and figure, so I'll vote against Israel, the Human Rights Council, but at least I'll keep my friends with the dozens of countries around the world. Hmm. Uh, David asks, um, why is Israel not addressing the court proceedings? If the case is so strong, why doesn't Israel go to the ICC? A judgment in Israel's favor would be devastating not in Israel's favor would be devastating. Uh, not going would risk a judgment in absentia. Because quite simply, again, just like I've uh, said in the last couple of questions, Israel believed that its uh, decision has already been made. The fact that the ICC ruled against its own constitution in multiple places, they had absolutely no right, no legal right to, uh, under its own bylaws to look into Israel, considering Israel's not a party to the ICC, uh, Palestine brought the case, which is not recognized as a state, uh, many, many other things, uh, shows that this is not a fair, uh, this is not a fair trial. This is a kangaroo court. And if you give it legitimacy, if you fight it and you lose, it obviously looks much worse than if you uh, taint it by not uh, dealing with it. So that's, it's a very difficult uh, uh, position that Israel's in. Uh, but it has decided over the years that rather than give it legitimacy uh, and lose, because they're always going to lose, uh, I don't think there's ever been a UN committee except for one minor one into the flotilla uh, at the time by the UN Secretary General, Israel has never come out looking good from any of these investigative committees. So they decided a number of years ago, rather than give it legitimacy and see Israelis give these, uh, give these, um, uh, filings and give testimony and then just be rejected and be called lies, it's better to delegitimize it and not give it any legitimacy and not allow the committee members uh, into Israel. Thank you. Uh, Sandra Bellestrino asks, there is talk now in the EU to diversify energy supplies. Do you think this will give new life to the East Med pipeline project? I think this question has come up a number of times before. Uh, and, I, and I'll give the same answer. Israel, Israel is not going to be a substitute for Russia. 
uh, Russian gas. Uh, even the Europeans understand that there's no alternative at this point to Russian gas. And that's why um, the pipeline from Russia, although it's been mentioned and veiled threats, it's not really going to be threatened. So, you know, of course, Europe would love to diversify, <clears throat> but Israel's not going to be a replacement for Russia. Simply, you know, even with the gas fields that we have, it's not anything like on the scale of what they can get from Russia or even multiple other places around the world. So certainly um, it will, uh, the East Med uh, pipeline will, it, 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 you know, depending where you stand, is, is, a good, is a good initiative, but it certainly isn't there to replace uh, Russia or will be counted in the sort of geopolitical uh, deliberations which are happening right now. Thank you. And it uh, looks like that Asher Grunis was appointed to head the state probe of the submarine affair. Can you speak briefly on that? Um, well, listen, he has a very good reputation. Um, we'll have to see. I mean, it's it's you know he was he was appointed by the government, so obviously they feel he can be fair. And you know, if I'd be a charitable look up to their interests, particularly in this, but he is a, he is he is a very well thought of figure. It was a good choice by the government because he is so well respected. Um, and we'll see, we'll see what happens with that. All right, thank you so much. Uh, that just about brings us to the end. Uh, so we've come to the close of our webinar and podcast. Ashley, thank you so much for taking time to update us this week. Uh, for our viewers and listeners, please join us Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern for a webinar with Cliff Smith, Cliff Smith on discussing Erdogan promotes American radicals. Thank you all for joining us and I hope you have a wonderful day.